welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in. Uh, we are here with episode 175. 174, right? It is. Uh, it is 174. Listen, yeah. Nate leaves and we're already off the rail two minutes into the show. That's about right. It- hey, hey, don't give Nate too much credit, man. We can't <laughs> give Nate too much credit. <laughs> oh, Nate, wherever you are, wherever you may be, we wish you. Yeah, we just wish you, you know, whatever. I don't know. We don't wish you too well. But uh, no, it, we will miss Nate. And Josh, you know, I looked this up. So episode one. This year, it is episode 174, and we will crack the 300,000 download episode when this one comes out tomorrow. 300,000. 300,000 downloads uh, when this one comes out. If I had $10 for every download. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Matter of fact, matter of fact, we should do. We should just, uh, we should just uh, send out a link, and uh, you know. now that Nate's gone, we only got to split two ways. And you know, there we go. We'll just take five and five and then just call it even. So um, speaking of links, I'll link to it in the show notes, War Room newsletter. Uh, be sure to check that out. And also there's a U.S.-China roundtable coming up on Thursday from 1 to 3 Central Time. If you're interested in the state of U.S.-China relations, um, it might be something that you want to sit in on. It's uh, 10 bucks. Or if you're on the War Room newsletter, you get the replay for free. Either way you go. Uh, Josh, I don't I know we're quickly getting the show, but did you hear the news of the weekend about President Trump? I don't know if you saw that or not. No, no. What happened? (laughs) (laughs) Of course I did. (laughs) So, so here's, here's, uh, here's what I saw. So I saw that he got coronavirus and uh, I was actually talking to a friend, um, uh, older guy in Louisiana. And, uh, and I mentioned, I said, yeah, he'll probably be fine. I mean, he's, he's not unhealthy hadn't been that deadly really so I, I think uh i don't know of him having any sort of pulmonary disease or respiratory he is a little overweight people say but mm-hmm. i thought well, he probably probably fine and then uh and then my buddy was like no he's gonna have it. He, he's he's at high risk he's a high risk guy and as i watched the narrative play out now that people are saying well, he's getting pumped full of the absolute best meds that are available to mankind and that's why mm-hmm. he's healing so fast so Man, it's listen. It's interesting because I, I've made it very clear I'm not a Trump voter, not a Biden voter for sure. I'm not that stupid. Um, but you know, it. So he's definitely in the high risk group compared to you know you or me or you know, yeah. So you have to be when he when he got it, you have to be like okay, this you know this could get it, real, could get real, right? Um, but the way the media covers him, it almost makes me want to vote for the man. Like it almost does. I'm not going to, but it makes me want to consider voting for him because it's unbelievable. Now, I mean, I, I don't, you know, this just a couple of things. One, as you pointed out, you know, it went from the media. I don't know if you watched the press conference with the doctor. It was clear the doctor wouldn't answer the question about the oxygen on Saturday morning. And you didn't know what that meant, but it was clear he's kind of being evasive about it. So I, I thought that was fine to put to point that out. 
but it went from like, you know, he had oxygen drops to, you know, he's going to die to, like you say, he's getting the super drugs that no one else in the world is getting. But these drugs are only for those who are really sick to, oh, my God, he's in a car driving around. The Secret Service is now going to die. I, I literally saw this. I'm gonna, let's point this out. Someone said that Trump put the Secret Service member's life at risk. I don't know if that person knows what the Secret Service job is. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think they know what they do. <laughs> like, I, I think they have no idea what that person's job is in life. Like when you sign up to be the Secret Service member, for those of, you know, I know our audience knows, but for these um, folks that cover the news, don't know this stuff, your job is literally, literally to guard the president with your life. And so that means you might take a bullet, you might get blown up, you know, I don't know, you know, stabbed, whatever, grenade, rocket launcher, you know, or you're going to be around a gazillion people and you might catch COVID, the flu, or what, who, who knows what else. Like, I just, I found it comical. And the, the, the irony of ironies was, I don't know if you saw this or not, Trump had on a mask and everyone in the car had a mask. And that's how he's putting the people's life in danger. I'm old enough to remember on Friday, to Sunday on Friday, when everyone was mocking Trump for not wearing a mask, which is how he caught the virus. By Sunday, the virus, the mask no longer worked because now he was putting everyone's life in danger. Like it, like in forty-eight hours, the masks were the mocking point to now they no longer work because the Secret Service is going to die of it. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, the 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 dishonesty is there, uh, and it's it's unreal. I actually thought he was trying to, you know, kind of a nice gesture. All these people that are out marching for him and stuff that you go out and say hello. I mean, yeah. Is he trying to score political points? Uh, duh. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely. what they do. That's what politicians do. Like, and listen, you know, if he got sick and died of the coronavirus, is that what I'm hoping for? Obviously, I'm not a, you know, a terrible human being. It wouldn't surprise me. I don't think he's out of the woods yet by what the doctors say, but um, I don't know. It's, it's a shame that, um, we, we, we can't have just a discussion about, you know, the mask or either the, the greatest savior in the world or despite wearing one, everyone's going to die. And, um, you know, Trump is either going to die. I saw one uh, MSNBC say a little, a, a, a Russia was involved. It's like, oh, okay, well, now Russia's involved. Um, so, you know, um, it's, it's just a travesty, the state of our country. Um, and that's why we can't have all over 40, Josh. I'm blaming it on the media now. We cannot have all over 40 because of the media. That's my current hot take of the day. Well, we'll just do it from DRW. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, I thought for a minute uh, that we were going to clip over 40 today, actually. We I might. Saw we were, we're up. Yeah. We're up it's bucks. up $2.30, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, we I hit the gas pump over the weekend. I back down to 165 <laughs> So, up on yeah. diesel. Let me tell you something. I about cried. It was like $44 to fill up. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just depressing. Oh man. So, so we got uh, a couple of, a couple of news stories that came out this week. Um, let's see. The first one is MRT all dies with virus fears, fueling economic uncertainty. Mm. Um, so when, I, I don't know if, if, people were paying much attention, but as soon as it was noted that Trump had the coronavirus stock market, I drank drop like immediately by like 3%. Mm -hmm. um, lots of things started dropping. I think even the oil price, did the oil price drop too at the same time? Or um, I, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily watching the, the oil price as much uh, on it Friday. Like 37, I think. Yeah. So 
and so I suppose what uh, the, the way that would be translated is, is that when, when he gets it, everyone assumes that more measures are going to be taken against the coronavirus now that the president has it, which is going to stifle demand, which is going to, you know, and then they're going to, they're going to play that out. Um, I wonder though, if, if Trump gets healthy, if, if let's just say he's healthy by Wednesday and I say healthy, I mean, it's relatively doing well out. Um, I think he's got a quarantine for X amount of days, but if he's right. generally healthy and he's, that age, do you think that that's a possibility people would say, Hey, maybe this, maybe this isn't again, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that he might, I mean, he, he could get really sick from it, but yeah. um, I'm just, I'm just wondering if people will see that for most people, it's really, I mean, I, I looked at the death rates the other day. We, we already talked about this plenty, but um, it's pretty low. Uh, I mean, the death rates are pretty low. I, uh, Don't let's not report the facts, Josh. Come on now. Let's not be restored. You know, we got media that reports the facts. Come on. We're supposed to be a borderline comedy show here. Um, No, I understand. Yeah. So I think that's part of the reason you see the price up this morning, right? Is that it looks like he might be released today um, or, you know, tomorrow or whatever. So I think, I think that's what you're seeing is that, um, that people are optimistic. And and I think on last weekend, you know, I, I don't know. I wondered how much, listen, so just take the left right out of it. If President Trump were to die of coronavirus, it is hard to imagine how we do not have more lockdowns, shutdowns. Yeah, right. Because there's a – so if you think kind of the population, there is a population part of the population who is scared to death of the coronavirus. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick anyone. I'm just saying they're scared to death of the coronavirus. Okay. Then there's a group that's not really scared of it, but they're scared of what their friends will say if they don't act. They're scared of it, right? So they're 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 kind of a little nervous, but they probably would live their lives a little bit differently. But the peer pressure says, you know, mask up, you know, social distance, all this stuff. Okay, so you kind of have that group. Then you kind of have the group in the middle who's, who's kind of confused. You know, they're not really sure what they think about the coronavirus. Is this kind of you know they they kind of go back and forth over it. Uh, then you kind of have the group on the other side, which is they're a little bit concerned, but the peer pressure pushes pushes them the other way, which is. Um, you know, no mask, you know, out and about doing whatever. And you got the folks um, that are just kind of like, you know, no maskers all. That's kind of a, 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 there's, you know, there's more gray in there, but that's kind of a spectrum, right? So if Trump were to die of coronavirus, well, it's, we, we know that he's going to get the best medical care that you can get. And if he dies, there's just certain pockets of those that is laid out that go, oh my gosh, if Trump died, then if I get it, I would die. Right. And so your willingness to just say, well, we want to push back or whatever I think would go, would, uh, would be hard would be hard to win and uh, hard to push back on and biden said that you know uh nationwide uh, mass mandate i think he said on friday so i think the market was sitting there going you know if trump dies hey right before the election there's gonna be a huge uncertainty you know um you know pence running for president now and you know all all, all of that just quagmire is going to come um you know, how does that shape, shape change things up? And then there should be lawsuits. And, you know, so the market didn't like that. Uh, and then I think you're right that there would be calls for shutdowns because if you're wanting to shut down whatever you think of the virus, if you're someone in power wants to shut down and the president of the United States dies of it, it's kind of hard for people to give you a strong pushback that you shouldn't shut down. Um, I mean, I'm not saying you can't make a good argument for it. I'm saying that, that you just won't have a voice because if POTUS has died, then you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, it's... Uh, you're at the low point of 2020. If the president dies of it, the his economy is, is about to take uh, another beating. I mean, because it's it's going to get pretty tough. Yep. On some uh, on some other news though, Ryan. Uh, if you remember, BP was talking about trying to hit net zero. I think by 2050. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so there's an, an article that came out, Oil and Gas 360, that said that investors are unhappy with BP's net zero target and the stocks sink. Now, I'm not so sure that the stocks are sinking because of the net zero target or target or because it's 2020 and everybody's <laughs> taking a beating. So uh, I don't know. Wait, was it on Friday is, when everything else was taken? <laughs> right. Yeah. This is couldn't, this could be a little bit unfair. So I don't want to throw that out there, but uh, this article is reporting that some of the investors are, are uh, very unhappy with it and, uh, and that it could be costing BP some money. Well, you know, um, I got this book right here. Uh, oddly enough called making government work. And uh, Jackie from the Jackie daily show will be coming on inside the war room here. I don't know this week or next week. And she's, she's got um, her, it's a, it's a collection of essays more or less. And so hers is on our energy future. And so she talks a lot about um, renewables and stuff like that. And it's a pretty good chapter on energy and energy policy as far as that goes. And I think, you know, when you're looking at the green movement, so again, whatever you think about it, just kind of take that, put it aside. If you're pro green, anti-green, whatever, just take, put it aside. Um, it's it's a very it's it's just like with Trump. It's a very politicized deal, which is, um, you know, the ones that, that that like it are very hardcore and they're very much into it. And then the ones that don't, they're or not don't, the the ones that are kind of like us, like well, okay, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Those are two different groups. And so, if you're trying to please someone like me well, with an investor profile of you know green energy, it's like, well, how does it make money? You know, is it be, is it the best investment? You know, stuff like that. And I'm just I'm just curious, like, you know, how does this work itself out? my concern is not getting carbon neutral by 2050. This is not my concern. My concern is I'm a stockholder. How do you, how do you provide me value for my stocks? Um, well, if you're someone who's very much into the green, you know, green new deal, climate change, we got to get stuff done. Well, you need, you're, you know, making money is not necessarily the primary, the primary um, goal. It's more of, you know, getting this stuff converted. And so trying to balance those two groups of people, I think is just, kind of set yourself up for disaster or, or at least trouble because um, I'm not concerned about, you know, carbon neutral by 2050. Sure. It's great. I gave, I gave him money. I want, I want, I want to return. Whereas uh, Bill McKibben over here, you know, he's pounding you if you don't get every little tax incentive. So I think that's part of the problem is that they try to roll these plans out and you just can't satisfy both sides of the, the, the uh, both sides of that spectrum. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to, I don't know how they're going to handle this. I mean, it, the, the, with the way the optics or the ESG, the environmental, was that environmental sensitivity? Uh, let me pull this up real quick. So, I, Environmental, social, and corporate governance. Uh, whether This is the, the optics of how the, these companies play with um, climate change and how they, posture themselves is going to play a big role in, in how well they're received or protected by the government. Um, yeah. Case in point would be Tesla. You know, yeah, especially, yeah. Especially in Europe, you know, where um, the political climate over there, as my European friends often remind me, our liberals in power here would be considered right-wingers in Europe. So, you know, uh, it's a little bit different over there to say the least. Um, I don't know how, Factually, that is, but I get his point is that they're they're a lot more you know, socialist than, than we are. So uh, you you also have to take that in as you say with the corporate governance and you know and uh, what they're going on. But I do think that this is kind of and this you know election I think is kind of um, symbolic of some of that stuff is that you know 
Trump and Biden, whatever you think about either candidate, kind of represents this this um, this kind of line in the sand. I don't know if Hillary and Trump did so much, but I think that Trump Biden does because you know you're kind of saying now we kind of want to go back to the old way things were with Biden, or no, we kind of like the, the way things are with Trump, and so um, which is kind of what the what BB's problem is. You know, if they want to keep going in this direction, they're kind of forced to uh, with the you know EU rules or, or whatever the case may be in stockholder uh, incentives. That's fine. It's just going to cost them certain portions of their investor base, and maybe that maybe it works out well for them. We'll want to see. Well, there's a, another article that uh, came out on the second where it says Dow shakes off Trump's positive test and is now slightly higher on stimulus hopes. So um, I think uh, the House, I think, voted on a, a House bill of like $2.2 trillion for another round of stimulus checks and uh, extended um, bonuses and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what they're seeing is the PPP money is running out and the people um, – I had, I had some interesting stuff I looked at. I, 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 uh, I can't pull up graphs now, but it was showing that the people that were most affected by all of these layoffs for these people in the lower income brackets, mm-hmm. well, if they extend these payments, those people will have basically close to the same amount of money or more coming in as they did before the, the pandemic hit, mm-hmm. which is injecting money into the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if they get that passed, then I think there's a good, it's going to delay the real pain that we're going to feel from, from all of this. And, uh, and the stock was responding pretty well to that. So, I mean, the stock market is definitely hoping for some stimulus. Well, and it, right. That, and it just goes to show you that, um, you know, the, the, the market saw Trump got the virus. It was uh, concerned. And so it dropped. And then on the news of him doing better, you know, it's, it, it, the stock's up, the Dow's up at the time it's recording 300 points, 363 points um, on the day. And so, you know, it's, it's, you know, it kind of moves around based upon what the, what the news is. And so if you go and I go back to what we we're talking about a minute ago is, you know, okay, well, if Trump gets coronavirus and he dies or he's you know, sick for a long period of time, then this is what you're dealing with as he kind of comes out of this and things are better than um, that's it. Now I'm not sure about the stimulus money. I'm, I'm curious you know, I saw a report from the Wall Street Journal this morning, and the headline read, the headline, let's see here, I'll get it pulled up. The headline reads, um, states overpaid virus unemployment claims, and they want the money back. Workers in Colorado, Pennsylvania, and elsewhere face repayment demands and thousands of dollars in pandemic assistance, even after many spent the benefits. And so I think that's going to be an interesting battle. We're printing up money for everyone and their mama. But <laughs> if, if the state overpaid you for your unemployment benefits, they're going to come hit you up for it. Oh, by the way, we're going to go ahead and fund some library in, you know, Saskatchewan or something. So, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, it's like the frog studies over there. Frog, like you did with the, yeah. the last deal, not, not the stimulus, but yeah, uh, no, I know. Yeah, they passed yeah. like two we, years ago. Exactly. So like 10 million or something. It's, it's insane. So,
Today we have two guests joining us. The first is Kyle Souza, uh, data wizard at Intelise, and Chris Pettigrew. He is the data manager there as well. Kyle, Chris, great to have you all on the show with us today. Great to be here. Thank you for having us. So where are the, let's start the important questions. Where are the hobbits, the witches, um, all the, you know, if you're the wizard, where's, where's the other group, the rest of the group? Well, unfortunately, these days we reside in the land of men, so uh, they are back past the eastern shore. <laughs> yeah, the other side of the woodlands, more towards Conroe. <laughs> um, we have a lot of apprentices here with the wizard. <laughs> they work underneath them, different levels. Oh, man. Okay, so I've been following you guys online for some time now. I know um, one of the things that you know, we're talking about with, with oil this morning, I think, is at 39 is that companies are trying to figure out, you know, A, what they're going to do moving forward, um, and B, how, how best to do that most efficiently. I know you guys have kind of been looking at some of those issues, thinking through that from a data management side. Uh, obviously, you, you brought in a wizard. I don't know where you find a wizard's at, but you brought in a wizard to do that. So kind of tell us what you guys kind of get going on and some of the problems that you're seeing with the industry. And that's a, that's a great Monday morning question, right? Um, $39 oil. Uh, we saw a couple companies last week, uh, team up together, or would that be the Devon and WTX joined w together last week? WTX. I forget. Um, you know, right now is, is a very interesting time in the world. You have, you know, the COVID-19 situation that hit everybody back in March. The people in the oil and gas industry got a double dose of that as we went to the record-breaking negatives that we saw. And today still kind of hovering with low demand, um, uncertainty, and the need to drill for oil and gas. So, you know, this isn't something that I, I wouldn't say I think started this year. I think oil has been in the lump for the past probably about five years. It's had a couple ups. And you have a lot of companies out there now that are trying to figure out in this going into the fourth quarter of uh, 2020 what they're going to do next. Um, our rig counts down, so you know it's just a it's a real big question for what's going to happen for a lot of people out there. But one one place that I do think a lot of companies do look into is what they can do to maximize their potential of the employment staff maybe they have either left or that they actually have uh, still available to them. And Technology, uh, everybody's talking about the digital transformation right now. I think that's a bu big buzzword, digital transformation. We've been forced to work from home. We've been forced to work from uh, scans of documents and from Zoom meetings and, and, and being completely detached from our office environment. So uh, I think it's also been a good time to maybe look inside and say, what can we do to uh, you know, maximize our efficiency internally and that also saves money and cash flow so therefore reinvesting into yourself is i think the, the biggest thing people can do right now yeah so on that one of the things is that companies it sounds like um we've seen is they're trying to determine you know how to spend their dollars because they you know they have limited dollars and they're trying to the source them and so you know do you pay for you know r d um, do you take something kind of risky and new? And that's one of the things during the last downturn, um, you, you kind of saw some companies went to new tech um, and some companies were, were resistant because, 
it's a, it's a gamble. And so how are companies trying to figure out, okay, you know, we've had, uh, you know, Kyle doing this job for us for 15 years and we can hire three more Kyles and we know he's done versus, um, you know, we can bring in new technology. It might cost less, but if it goes wrong, uh, the potential for, you know, blowing up in our faces, if you will, um, is, is, is uh, substantial. Yeah, sure. Um, that's a great point. And it, it comes to a, something I was thinking about before we got on the show this morning. I wanted to have a talking point about which was uh, how many layoffs have we had in the last six months at companies? How much great talent has been lost mm-hmm. at large firms that possibly could come back? But a lot of people that I do know have moved into other industries. They're, they're selling homes, real estate agents, flipping houses. Mm-hmm. You know, do you get back that great knowledge that we've built up since the last crash of 2008, which is only 10, 12 years ago, and the many crashes we had in between? So let's say you were to put it back to the old way of thinking and you hire back people and you go get a bunch of Kyles, no matter which way you do it, unless somebody is there from the historical way of understanding the standing standard operating procedures of a company, it's now being re- rethunk and rethunk with new people. And whether they, some may want to adapt to a new technology and bring that in because that's their way of thinking other may, people mm-hmm. may want to say the wheel is not broken. Let's not try to do anything to it. And I think other people may try to fix that wheel and hold on to that wheel because they've made significant investment into that wheel. No matter how bad the wheel is, you just keep duct taping it. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I think we're at a crossroads right now of what does automation look like in the workforce? I think we see it in our lives and for intellies, that's what intellies is really all about. It's, it's about bringing automation to the human being. Um, I don't care who you are. If, if you're out there talking about artificial intelligence or you're talking about machine learning or uh, data science or even just programs helping you, if anybody tells you that the bot can do it all for you and it will replace your job and, and, and literally act as a human and catch every little thing, they're lying to you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not 100%. And I will say that as a person whose business relies on data. <laughs> right. Um, but the truth is when you pair a great machine with a human being, we, I think is through civilization, we, we see great things happen. And, um, you know, John Henry versus the train, mm-hmm. the astronauts, NASA, the, our military in the United States of America. What happens when you put machines together with humans and that ingenuity becomes something amazing. So, you know, in 1942, 43, we're in World War II, right? And they're dropping bombs out of airplanes and they're looking through a, a periscope to, to hope they land in the right direction, mm-hmm. right? And usually they, they do pretty well, but there's probably a lot of collateral damage there, but that's acceptable. I think that in our business today, that's been a, a way people have thought collateral damage is acceptable because you know what, that works too. But in 2020, we shoot a rocket at a man at an airport and hit the target. No collateral damage, no worry about anybody else. That's the way business needs to think now because the old collateral damage way was was actually hurting companies. So we've tried to look into the field for savings. We've tried to look into employees for savings. Now we need to look into what we're doing for savings. 
um, I know companies that have seven different softwares running in one company, all doing different things for different departments, but you could probably be doing it with like one or two. So that's not efficient, <laughs> right? So, uh, you know, I think that's just what, where we're at right now. And, and if companies want to survive, it's a good place to look into and a, a good time to reinvest. And there's lots of different options that are out there, but you need to use your humans. Don't, don't just think if I buy the software, it's going to make everything work properly. Um, human beings make the software work properly. And when you pair artificial intelligence and machine learning with humans, it becomes even more amazing. So let me ask you this, Kyle, maybe uh, you, you have some insight here as the, as the wizard yourself. One of the things I've wondered about, uh, uh, as Chris pointed out, that people are leaving the industry, IT people would seem to me, if you're in kind of the IT data space, like you might be the first to leave because you don't know what your future is in the industry. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, it's not like, you know, a pipeline project manager or a uh, foreman on a rig site. Like I'm not saying they can't do other things, but they have a kind of uh, specific jobs that are for our industry. Whereas, you know, IT data, we kind of think of those as jobs that you can kind of take from industry to industry. Have we seen a mass exodus um, of kind of the IT space, the data space, uh, leaving oil and gas and going to, you know, the traditional tech type companies? Because uh, that would seem to be a concern um, for some of these companies in the long run is that they, they have a hard time attracting these tech type people because, as you pointed out, Chris, the, 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 the industry is up and down and, you know, you go somewhere else and you get a job paying just, just the same, if not more. Yeah, we haven't, I have not seen the mass exodus of IT people from the oil and gas industry. It is really hard for the oil and gas industry to attract new talent mm. uh, from that sector to it. But as far as people leaving, especially with uh, the change in workplace that happened back in March with everybody starting to work from home, companies know that they need the IT people. Mm. And so IT has become a very necessary position where he's, uh, in the past, over the last decade or so, IT has always been a cost center for a company, and it's been a roadblock, and it's, why aren't these computers working? I need to do my engineering job or my geology job, geology job or my accounting job, whatever it is, IT is in the way of things. And now uh, IT is able to lead, the way. Yeah, lead, solve problems, and help people get their job done in this new atmosphere where people are co-located. Some are at the office, some are at home, People are in different homes across different cities or across different states and having to work together. And so uh, I, I haven't seen a large exodus of IT people from the oil and gas industry, but every time we do have a downturn like this, it makes people look at other industries. And so four years from now, we're going to have a real hard time hiring new people for any position in oil and gas, and that includes IT. Yeah. And so if I'm kind of following what you guys are saying, that is that, the, that this downturn is going to... Uh, accelerate some of the things that the industry was looking at, trying to figure out how to cut costs, how to be able to drill in low price environments um, or unstable price environments. Um, and we're going to lose people. Uh, and so we kind of have to, to tighten up our workflows and, 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 you know, you said seven different softwares and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, what, what's been the feel from the companies on um, wanting to put out capital dollars to kind of make this switch? Because, reading the headlines, you know, we're just talking about, you know, BP's, you know, looking to go carbon net neutral by 2050. So the headlines are kind of more of those type of things. Of course, what you guys are working on may not, you know, may not be a headline grabber, but are you seeing that companies are, you know, really looking to trend towards cost savings um, in a long-term approach? Because it's not, if, if, if we kind of go to this um, letting the machine pair with the human to kind of use that, that terminology, that's not something that you're going to 
rip the bandaid off in six months. Like once you kind of commit to that, that's a long-term trend to how you operate your business. Um, it, 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 is that, is that, how's that, how, how does that feel with, um, you know, going into Q4 of 2020 with the low prices? Are, are we close than we were maybe 2016 when it felt like there was a lot of pushback? Yeah, you know, yeah, that is a good point. Once people, once the job description changes mm -hmm. and people start using uh, AI or machine learning as part of the normal workflow, the, the old job isn't coming back. Mm -hmm. You're not going to go to a less efficient way of doing things just because the economy got better a few years from now. Um, but Chris, you have any comments on the expenditures? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my dealings with most oil and gas companies or really any company right now, logistics, healthcare, because I'm telling you this, uh, we, we get outside of energy, you know, because we're able to do a lot of different data analytics and, and taking data from documents and, and putting together data sets. But the bottom line is right now, most companies are still reserving spending, um, looking for small amounts of, of I, think it's, I think it's picking up a, a little bit. I think budgets are getting a little bit loose towards the end of the year mm -hmm. to, to take care of some of those year and things, but uh, nobody's, you know, making big, big decisions right now. So um, we have a lot in front of us right now, and there's no reason for anybody to make big decisions unless you are uh, doing something proactive to make money. So uh, a lot of risk right now in the world. And I think that's really just kind of the idea behind, behind what's happening. However, um, even though the risk is there, in order for companies to survive, they've had to lay off people or furlough people or maybe make a choice. And it's almost like the, the left behind, you know, who is left behind now to do how many people's job. So when you have, uh, let's say in the world of land, you had six people work in the department. Now there's one. Mm -hmm. You had, you know, 10 people in accounting. Now there's three and they all do 10 people's jobs. I think that's what's going to have the, the employees are going to need a tool to help them do 10 people's job. I mean, that, that's, that's what we have to look at now. And we have to realize that sometimes when we look back at the older way of doing things, paying people to put a square peg into a square hole and having floors of people is not the way that our world is living in. Mm. Um, I watched some CNN this weekend and uh, a statement was made was, that I thought was interesting, but I feel to be true, which is the new normal is not new. Welcome to the normal, you know, of what we're about to go through going forward. Are our office buildings opening back up? No. Are people still losing jobs as companies aren't able to drill holes? What's our rig count out like right now? Horrible. Mm -hmm. So uh, the price of oil is down. The price of gas is down. The, the amount of money coming into the industry is not good. So for those that have saved, and that's the old rule in the old gas business, you save your money because this is gonna happen. Um, they're doing a couple things out there that I see right now. One, you have companies that, ha that have, that are buying up the have nots. So the, the prospects don't change, the properties don't change, but the owners do. Um, today, I, I've been seeing software companies buying up each other. So today Quorum, I saw bought Landox, which is a very small, mid-sized land uh, software sucked up into the Quorum, which is the, the behemoth of the land and, and, and midstream and upstream and downstream. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, that says a lot to me. Um, I'm reading about people dropping their subscriptions, people holding on to where they're at. So, you know, I think my focus more than anything else is survival. What do you do with the people you have left and how do they become efficient for business? Mm. Um, maybe it's not about hiring back the 50 people. I know that's good for job numbers and things like that, but I can tell you that a, a company with seven different softwares, their problem is probably not the software. It's probably the people behind all of it. Yeah. And sometimes human beings can be the issue when it comes down to moving forward. So, you know, we all laugh at South Park and we all laugh at the, the old people, the computer is going to take our jobs. And I've even had some hate mail come at me recently for the lease analyzer we put out. And, um, you know, why are you trying to take away our jobs or what are you doing? But I, my only response to that is when, when a computer came out, did you say the same thing? When a calculator came out, did you say the same thing? Um, whenever software came out, did you say the same thing? Whenever, whenever online came out, did you say the same thing? Because that has really, you know, changed our jobs over the past 50 years and it's just technology. Mm -hmm. So we're starting to get into more and more of it. Um, but it's a tough market out there. People aren't opening their pockets up, but some are, and they're trying to prepare for the fact that the world's not going to end that um, I read an article the other day that natural gas is probably going to be the next 10 years of our industry. Um, and we can talk about that on the show if you like. Why? I think that there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, and oil will always be oil. And will we see $100 oil? <laughs> Who knows? Um, but I can tell you that I know that oil and gas companies do well when they get two products to sell more than just one. And for the past 10 years, all we've had to sell was oil. Gas has been flared into the, into the air. So let's try to get a dual product, you know, uh, you know, product here that we can sell. And then we have some money to invest into the new way of doing things and, and what that way is going to look at. But fossil fuels aren't going away. We need it. It's what fuels our world. Yeah. You know, one thing you said, circle back to, is the new normal. Um, and I, I, I was using that term for a while, and I've rejected that term now. And, yeah. and, and, and here's why, because th there is no, the new normal is only for a period of time. So let me give you an example. So pre-9-11, there was the flights, how you got on a plane was that normal, whatever that was, you know. Uh, right, and, right. And then post-9-11, there was that new normal. And no one, I don't remember anyone complaining post 9-11 about, you know, checking your shoes or going through TSA. They get in full body cavity searches. We would, we would have stripped down like, yes, please, please. I don't want to get you know, flown into a building or blown up. So I'm good. Now, now pre-COVID. So we'll say by 2019 and much earlier, that normal of people being okay with uh, TSA, that had been long gone. Yeah, it's normal. Right. Yeah. So now the new normal was is this is stupid. Why are we doing this? Um, and so yeah. the, the normals change and they progress. And then there, there's a lot of reasons Dude. why I think that happens. But but that aside, so kind of where we're at for oil and gas right now is I think that's part of our problem is is that we're in this low price environment and we're stuck and we're stuck in this demand destruction, demand trap, whatever you call it. And we're sitting there going, Oh my gosh. Well, eventually that will change. You know, and, and the prices will come back. You know, will they get to 100 hundred, two hundred, fifty dollars, seventy dollars? I don't know, but the prices will get better. And then eventually the prices will probably get lower. And then, you know, and the, so the normals. Um, or, or, or just or just new phases, if you will, and it feels like if we're smart uh, in the industry, what we what we should do is is say, okay, well, as you kind of pointed out, historically, here's been some of our issues when things are good, 
Um, we are losing people. Here's kind of lessons learned. How do we best prepare to survive in this normal? Because the low price environment will be here for a while and we'll come back at some different, it'll look different next time, but it'll be back. Um, and then there will be a, another normal in there that will be a, a higher price environment. And so how do we best situate ourselves for that? And that, those are the kind of discussions we, I think we had to have as an industry saying, okay, well, this is what we're facing. How long is it? Six months, six years? Uh, you know, we don't know. That's up for debate. Um, but it will, it will change. And so how do we best survive this and prepare ourselves for when the price comes back high? And it kind of, we kind of get short-sighted. I understand why, because the prices are low, but, um, but you guys kind of get into more specific what you do is, um, it, which I've been working with, um, I'll let you name all the different technologies and kind of how you put together, if you don't, or whatever you want to say on that, but it's kind of taking that and saying, okay, well, here's what you guys have done historically, if I understand correctly, let's put this in a way that makes it more efficient. So as you go forward, A, you can go back to what you have done, and you can prepare for your projects moving down the road. Is that a kind of a good summary? Yeah, I think it's a great summary of, of, of what we like to try to think of doing. Um, you know, I, before I got into oil and gas, I worked in retail and uh, it, it blows my mind how fast they can move information at Walmart, but Chevron can't do it as well. Yeah. And uh, they know every little toothbrush that comes in from China, but we don't know every barrel that goes out or can't pay every royalty on it because we're not sure of something, you know? So I think that, um, you know, part of the idea here is we were talking with a guy the other day in logistics and he's a trucking company. So even in the oil and gas, we have deliverables, correct? How mm -hmm. 80% of his revenue was coming from paper, signed copies of deliveries to their customers and the drivers were would lose the paperwork or rip it up or something would happen to it still copy on it. still copy on it and if they couldn't get a good copy back to the supplier then they wouldn't get paid for their deliveries mm -hmm. and i asked the man how much of this is your business that this happens and his risk factor he said 80 percent of my business is, is at risk i said well how much shrink are you taking and he said, it's, it's not good. I don't want to tell you. So, you know, just, I think everybody across the board right now is going to have to look at every industry and, and we need to take some notes from some of the industries that have had successes. We need to take some notes from failures of industry and all of us are being forced to conform to the normal right now. But are we going to see that towards the end of the year? I mean, we have the biggest election coming up in the world right now. I don't think anybody's doing anything until at least after that. And then, you know, it could be after Christmas before we see some real movement. But um, I do know that you have to pay your taxes every year. So everybody's going to be doing that part <laughs> and uh, going through that document and filing financials. So I expect all the accountants to stay pretty busy. Um, but it's already starting to happen. People are starting to look for uh, and listen, um, and we've gotten a lot of attention um, by just talking about ideas and, and you know gathering people together. I spent the last two months just on LinkedIn messaging random people and energy and engineers and geologists and just talking to them about what could you do if you could take data and make more of it and then compare it together and what what kind of things take you hours and hours to look through because all you can do is look at it on paper or maybe just in, in, in five different Excel spreadsheets instead of mm -hmm. being able to do data analytics. And 
and start to be able to take what you do in those five spreadsheets and make it into that one action. You know, that's what we're talking about doing here. And if we can do that to sell milk at Walmart, I think we can do that to drill oil and gas wells um, in the energy industry. And AI is getting big out in the well field as well. We're starting to hear more about technology for flow pumping and capturing and measuring. Um, uh, they're using AI and camera systems for monitoring wells and site locations. So, you know, you, you said it a little bit ago, BP is looking for that transformation, but BP is a behemoth. Mm -hmm. We need to kind of come in from the bottom up because that's where BP gets fed. Exxon gets fed by buying little companies and whether their data is good and whether their title is right, right. and whether their wells are producing is how successful Exxon's going to be. Yeah, it, so yeah, it, that's a good job. It's just funny. I've, I've been around some small producers or midstream companies, and they're trying to, to to sell, and then they didn't have their data in order. Or I've been around uh, larger midstream companies who have bought smaller ones, and all they did was complain about, you know, they bought this thing, and next thing you know, there's pipelines going through trailer parks and on top of their yep. buildings, and they can't figure out the leases and who they pay, and it's a headache. And listen, when hard art, when when oil's on a hard art barrel. We'll, we'll overlook Nobody all that. Cares. No one cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> you know, we're drinking champagne and smoking cigars. That's exactly right. Yeah. You know, but 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 we're not going to see that. We haven't seen that in a while. And you know, so now is the time to care about those type of things. And, and now is the time to get out there and make those type of changes. And it's important that it's a, that people think that way. And I think that um, no longer are we living in the oil and gas industry where you know the old way is the only way. There are new ways and, and people are going to come back with new technologies from other industries. And I think that we better be ready to match up to that knowledge because Dell and Amazon, I mean, those people are going crazy with technology right now and ready to take over the world. Okay. I know we are getting up against the clock here. So why don't you guys tell folks where they can find you, um, LinkedIn website um, or wherever you might want to direct them to. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're on we're on LinkedIn, uh, Chris Pettigrew, Kyle Souza, or Intellis. Intellis is I N T E L L E S E. Uh, so check out Intellis.com, and I think that's the best. We got YouTube. You can watch our YouTube uh, videos. Um, contact Kyle and us. You know, we're all about data and taking your day-to-day -day job and trying to make it easier, giving you a tool. Um, right now we have an analyzer that can do all kinds of different stuff, but it's really up to the human being to make sure it's done right. Um, the big one that we're selling right now is the lease analyzer. Um, six times faster. We have, we have analysts up here doing, you know, six to 10 leases an hour. It's, it's pretty, pretty wild. And their quality analyzation and every bit of the data is going into the system and it uploads into any land system. So um, talk to us about what you're thinking. Um, had a guy the other day send me his, what was he getting in? Invoices and monthly invoices. And then uh, they had to cross check it to a price sheet. Has a guy doing that for 10 hours a week. We figured out a way to do it in about an hour. So, you know, that's, that's what we do. And that's what we like to get into. So um, it's really all about the customer being the subject matter expert. And we just put our technology and our minds behind it and try to bring something new to the table. Okay. Well, while y'all are, um, when I get off here, if you could figure out a way to have Josh and I's voices set to just make up, you know, semi-coherent babble for an hour a week, it would save Josh and I the time to do the podcast. So if you can work that out, that would be we great. Probably could. We could do if semi-coherent is the target, we can achieve that. that. would be a step up from where we're at now. So <laughs> it might be a little like Max Hedrum. There might be a little, you know, going on there, but uh, 
Hey, that's that's technology. It's AI. You know, what do you expect from a robot? Okay, well, fellas, shoot me over some links when we get off here, and I will make sure we link to all of that in the show notes. Thank you guys so much for coming on, and best of luck as we close out the year. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, John. Thanks, guys. Thanks again to uh, Kyle and Chris for coming on the show today. Uh, It was uh, it was interesting uh, getting getting their take. Yeah, and this real quick, they have some, I don't know if they're still doing them, but they have some webinars and stuff I've seen, and uh, their stuff's pretty good. It's it's, uh, it's, uh, it's fascinating. I'm hoping they will get the Text Long Gas Podcast Recorder Analyzer deal built. That would be, be nice. That would be cool. That would be cool. And they should just give it to us for free, and then we could sell it. Listen, we just gave them, what, probably $30, $40 million worth of advertising right there? Yeah. At least. Yeah. At least. So I don't know gave them the ear of the president. So Yeah. <laughs> you got Trump listening, world leaders listening, so... What else do you want from us? Yeah, that's at least thirty to forty million dollar ad, and so uh, yeah, go and get that over to us as quick as possible, and uh, yeah, we'll go from there. What was what's, right. what's an invoice after that? I'm not, well, we, we got we got two articles for the roundup today. Yep. Uh, real quick, Ox, Oxy uh, sells Colombian hey. onshore assets for seven hundred million in attempt to reduce debt. They've been at this for quite a while, so uh, they're they're still making sales. Uh, surprisingly, I, I wonder how much money they're losing for selling in this particular climate yeah, with the price so low yeah it's a good yeah. question but heck if they you know the problem is the longer, yeah the longer it drags on you might you know get um worse valuations on that stuff people might be less less uh, wanting to buy six months from now mm. so know. the last last one is uh caterpillar they're going to acquire we're oil and gas for 405 million in cash 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 homie yeah uh so that's uh that's an interesting that's an interesting acquisition it looks like have we uh, have we noted lately they were for sale i think we've said it a couple okay times. okay we're for sale. caterpillar yeah, yeah no uh, stock swaps no no that's a yeah straight cash homie unless you have bitcoin we could talk offline about bitcoin how that works but uh yeah straight cash homie so um uh, is that it joshua Yep, that, okay. uh, that covers us for today. Warroomnewsletter.com. Check that out. And we will be back next week. Until then, keep climbing. Mm-hmm.